the rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It's Mexi. I'm taking the reins from Marine this week. And this week we have the wonderful and brilliant Becky Ellis back on the show. If you remember, we had Becky on a while ago to talk about the sobering implications of bee decline and what's going on with all of our pollinators and how that relates to our horribly unsustainable capitalist agricultural production system. So excited to have Becky on the show to talk about permaculture for post-capitalism. But first, I want to shout out the patrons, the new patrons this month. Thank you so much to Franco and to Marius. Your support really goes a long way. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a monthly patron donor on patreon.com slash vegan vanguard, or you can toss us a one-time donation via PayPal on our website at veganvanguardpodcast.com. And on that note, I also want to shout out Hayden for giving a very generous one-time donation via PayPal. Thank you so much, Hayden. So Becky is a PhD student at the University of Western Ontario, and she's just started her own podcast called Permaculture for the People, which is awesome. I would definitely recommend people check it out. It's anti-capitalist and it's all about permaculture, which is super interesting and something that I think we really need to start thinking about on the left. So Becky, I guess, would you like to introduce yourself in your podcast and what you're planning on talking about there? Yeah, so my podcast, Permaculture for the People, is about building a anti-capitalist permaculture movement and also about creating a kind of uh, medium that we can think about post-capitalist po- possibilities. Um, mm. I think that's really needed for like people on the left, and I think that's also needed in permaculture circles as well. And there's some overlap between those groups of people, but I personally I don't think there's enough. And I also think that... Um, both can kind of lack imagination for like thinking about how do we want post-capitalist societies to look like? Like, what are we Mm -hmm. actually, what are we actually fighting for? And we want to create a new world. What is that going to entail? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners of this show will know that Maureen and I are also on this kick of being really excited about imagining and about reclaiming creativity and about reclaiming the ability to dream the future together. Um, We did a podcast about pleasure activism. Um, If you haven't listened to that, check that out. But yeah, this is something that we're really interested in is actually doing the work of imagining and not just, you know, stopping at, oh, well, what do you want society to look like? Oh, well, we don't know because not one person can decide that, you know, obviously not one person can can decide that. Obviously, we need to decide that together. But that shouldn't stop us from doing the the work of actually practicing, like flexing our creative, imaginative muscles to try and dream of what that might look like. Yeah. And I think that like neoliberal capitalism, especially like has stolen our collective imaginations and we need to Mm -hmm. like get it back and like getting it back can be a very radical act, Mm -hmm. I think. And it's one that's really worth worth participating in especially collectively Mm -hmm. but even individually like just trying to think about okay what am I actually fight what do I actually want a better world when I say another world is possible what do I want that other world to look like Mm -hmm. and I think so many people haven't thought about that 
No, yeah, it's just like, oh, we'll figure it out after the revolution. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, I, I think we should have some some vision, even if it's people think it's utopian, we should have that vision that we're marching towards, right? So, yeah, and I think a lot of permaculture people, they think about it in terms of crisis. Mm. And so they think like, there's been a huge crisis, everybody's dead, but a few people and so how are we going to mm-hmm. rebuild? And that's not, that's not like using your imagination. <laughs> right. Kind of like, <laughs> accepting everything's terrible. And so how are, you know, the few of us that survive going to make it. And I, that's not what I mean when I talk about imagining post-capitalist right. possibilities. Right. Yeah. We talked about that a bit in our um, pleasure activism episode, just this idea of urgency thinking, because mm-hmm. that'll that'll get you into the same kind of mind frame as kind of this capitalist ideology where everything's based on scarcity, right? Yeah. So yeah, we want to yes. move away from scarcity thinking or even kind of disaster thinking and have more imaginative, um, positive visions of what we want to see. Um, so yeah, so I'm very excited to have Becky on the show. Thank you for joining me. Um, because yeah, I think this is really important and I don't actually really know what permaculture is. (laughs) (laughs) It's a term that I hear a lot, but I don't actually know what it is. So I figure, yeah, let's try and flesh this out. So, uh, could you explain just basically what is permaculture yeah so in a really a really basic um, starting point is that it's an ecological design system that seeks to transform human societies um, in ways in which they kind of cooperatively exist with natural ecological ecosystems so you know the easiest way to define it is that it's an ecological design system transforming human societies so human societies can coexist with ecosystems Uh Um, And some people leave it at that as a design system. Uh But I think that it's important. And I think that if you look at the the principles and the ethics that it's based on, we need to push further and think of it as a movement to transform human society and transform not just um, the way in which we interact with ecosystems, but to also transform our own human societies and our interactions with one another. And Uh so the permaculture, I mean... Partly defining it is a little bit problematic in a way because the original founders of permaculture um, were two Australians, two white Australian men. Um, In the 70s, they came up with this concept of permaculture, partly by um, looking at what various people around the world, how various societies had functioned, especially in relation to natural ecosystems and how they had um, agricultural systems that were like mimicking natural ecosystems and coexisting with them as part of them. And so they partly took ideas from people all over the world, especially a lot of indigenous people and people in the global south, and put those ideas together to create this concept of permaculture. Hmm. They created like a set of principles and kind of set of ethics and it's when you like read their work it it makes it very digestible um Mm -hmm. but the problematic aspect of it is is that it's not like they pull these ideas out of nowhere they got them from other people and that's not always credited enough in permaculture Mm. circles as well so i think it's really important to say you know david holmgren and um bill mollison created the concept of permaculture but they got these ideas based on like thousands of years of practices of all sorts of different people all around the world and that you know it's really important to think about um 
you know, crediting those people and also mm-hmm. um, making sure like we are clear that permaculture isn't like completely reinventing the, the wheel, that there are lots of people doing these types of things. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of trying to apply it to what well, they were trying to apply it to like Australian society um, in the 70s type of thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of people who have done similar things. And there could be other ways. There, of course, are other ways to do things. Yeah, that's super interesting because obviously also if they're taking from a lot of different indigenous um, cultures, you know, the worldviews between these colonial Australians and, you know, indigenous people would be so different. So they're kind of taking those practices out of their cultural context and then trying to apply them in Australia. But I imagine that, you know, the whole worldview of how Uh, colonial society views its relation to nature, especially capitalist, like colonial capitalist society views its relation to nature, like as resource or as input for growth versus other cultures that perhaps have a different understanding of their position within ecosystems and how they are part of thriving ecosystems. I just find that interesting because I'm sure... I'm sure making that translation, um, (laughs) you know, results in, I guess, not a distortion, but yeah, (laughs) I don't know quite what I'm saying, but it's tricky because I think there are some interpretations of permaculture that seem to kind of be just kind of focusing on like land ownership and how we use land and not really questioning like these very basic concepts of land ownership like why do we have land divided in this way why can we Mm -hmm. even own a piece of land um there are people i mean this is part of my critique or part of why i want to push permaculture a little bit because um there's a lot of focus on permaculture's livelihood instead of Mm -hmm. like permaculture's movement to transform the world Mm -hmm. um and this focus on livelihood is kind of like how can i make a livelihood within you know capitalist society using ideas of permaculture Mm-hmm. And then also not questioning the colonialism, you know, I mean, go, being able to go around the world and like find ideas of people and then take them and put them into your like nice book, mm-hmm. um, even if you have the best of intentions, like that is obviously the privilege of someone who has, you know, benefited from a settler colonialist society, being a white person mm-hmm. in a settler colonialist society. So it's there and people are starting to think about de- decolonizing permaculture. And I think that needs to go go even further. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's some of the conversations yeah. that people have started to have. Yeah, that's good. That's super interesting. Because yeah, it, just hearing where that came from, it seems kind of perverse then to put that into like a colonial capitalist kind of framework. But I think we're going to dig into that a little yes, bit later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so could you just give some examples of what a permaculture system might look like? So like when you say, um, you know, agriculture that's designed as a system where both humans and animals are flourishing? Like what, what does that entail? So um, there's different ways people approach permaculture. The way I approach it is um, you're trying to create a, a design system that really transforms your life in a way that you are living out the permaculture ethics to the best of your abilities. And so it doesn't just stay with how you are growing things or how you're interacting with the ecosystem that you live in, but it's also about how you interact with other people and people in your neighborhood and your community as well. Mm -hmm. So when people are trying to design a permaculture system, what they're doing when it it comes to using the land is trying to design a system that's mimicking natural ecosystems, especially focused on... um, cooperation 
Mm-hmm. And so the, the cooperation that exists in the ecosystem in order for the ecosystem to, to function properly, trying to kind of mimic that in the um, systems that we're creating in like a human created system. Mm-hmm. So really trying to create relationships and nurture relationships between different plants, between like, you know, soil organisms, between uh, people who use the land, uh, between the non-human animals that use the land as well, and really trying to... Um, nurture these cooperative relationships um, and help them to flourish and you know try to create a system where where they're all like adding to the system what they they can and they're all getting things from the system as well Um, Mm -hmm. so it's really taking all those kind of different elements um, that are part of this system and trying to make sure that you know everything is like getting what it needs to flourish and then everything is like helping to give as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of like principles that people utilize things like, you know, stacking functions. And some of those get really detailed to using like certain techniques. There are certain techniques that are like widely used in permaculture. Like I would say um, intercropping, companion planting, food forests are, you know, very, very popular and widely used in permaculture. Integrating animals, which brings up interesting side of ethical issues as well. Mm-hmm. Um, integrating wild animals into the system. People are often trying, I think a lot of things people are trying to do when it comes to like how they use the land is to create um, an ecosystem, it's human created, but it regenerates ultimately on its own uh, without human intervention or without too much human intervention and where humans are just one of the beings that are flourishing in this environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be applied to, you know, an urban landscape, but you know, it can be also be applied to obviously a rural landscape as well. And then people, you know, really, I think the original people who created the concept of permaculture really wanted people to apply it to other aspects of their life. And not everybody does, but to not just apply it to how they're designing, you know, their backyard or uh, a community garden or a farm, but also apply it to um, how they're living within the community and to look at the different elements um, in a neighborhood or community and how we can encourage people to cooperate, um, Mm -hmm. kind of mutual flourishing together, um, looking at all the different ways that we, you know, the energy that comes into that system, the elements that are in that system and make sure that everything's kind of flourishing in relationship with one another. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. I'm just trying to like picture what people are creating, but I'm sure it's really, you know, varied depending on context and and what people are, you know, working with or working towards, right? Yeah, it really varies. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of it is land-based and it really varies according to um, the access people have to land. And the only reason I say unfortunately is because, you know, access to land is, you know, really important topic, but it's something where not Mm. everybody has access to land. It's very political. It really um, is very racialized, gendered, um, whether Mm -hmm. you have access to land or not in cities. You know, it's one of the biggest um, things standing in the way of really, uh, I think, amazing projects and initiatives. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes people are like kind of, don't have the access to land that they would like, mm-hmm. um, especially in urban settings. And so it becomes kind of something that they do in their own spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I really just want to, I'm trying to encourage people to think more about bringing permaculture into community or communal spaces, especially in thinking about common spaces and like recommoning mm. spaces especially in urban areas and how we can bring kind of permaculture ideas principles and ethics into those spaces mm-hmm. um but i think a lot of people are kind of 
forced or just find themselves applying it to their own yeah you know private spaces regardless you know it could could be their backyard Mm -hmm. or it could be you know a home in a balcony that they have but um not really able to access these communal spaces Mm -hmm. yeah i'm really interested in recommoning also (laughs) maybe that's something for a future podcast um but you mentioned that there were some permaculture ethics so i was wondering if you could just um explain what the ethics are so the permaculture ethics that should guide everything that a permaculture practitioner does is care for earth, care for people, and fair share. And so my argument is that those ethics are actually quite radical and they're very anti-capitalist if you actually try to live a life and create a community and create a neighborhood in which you were living out those ethics. And that also Mm. very quickly, you would um, come up with challenges to those ethics where you would have to be brought into activism. And Mm. so um, I I do think that people who are interested in permaculture should very consciously try to live out those ethics and what they do. And, you know, it should lead them to become activists and involved in other social movements as well. Um, mm-hmm. But when I, for example, if I'm thinking about, um, we could just talk about a backyard for a second. It is my own, like a private space. But mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about those ethics, so, you know, if I'm going to put in a new garden plot into my backyard, I, you know, thinking about those ethics and thinking about what everything I'm going to do needs to care for the earth and the beans that use it. So I need to think about the animals and the insects, um, the birds, they're all animals, but they use mm-hmm. that space and how I can create a space that they can also utilize. Think about, especially about um, creating a space where the soil is, is healthy and regenerating. Mm-hmm. And then I also think about the things that in terms of care for people that, you know, that I want to get from this space, whether it's food and to kind of think about how that can work with other systems, like the larger food system. So, you know, sometimes it's like, what can I grow that I can't get in ethical ways otherwise mm. or that I really, uh, that I really like to grow that people really like to eat and that, like, you know, I can't buy from my farmer or I can't buy at a farmer's market or it's too expensive. So we never end up eating it. Mm-hmm. Or what can I grow? I've become really interested in the idea of like a medicinal food forest. So I've been thinking mm-hmm. a lot about what I can grow that I can use to, you know, make something for my family if they've got mm-hmm. colds or fever, flu or something. Mm-hmm. Um Fair share is where it gets very tricky, I think, in terms of if you're just looking at your own private space, I interpret fair share as sharing the abundance and beyond your own family. And so thinking about that and thinking about how can this space, so for me, I think a lot, um, I'm not able to always put it into practice because this PhD gets in the way of all these other (laughs) ideas. But I think about how can I use this space as like a learning space? Uh, How can I invite the community to use this space? It's tricky when it's your own backyard. How can I share things? with people I do that immediately with like my little free library but I'd like to make it even deeper and Mm -hmm. kind of live a life based on cooperation and sharing and so I often am thinking about that even if it's my own garden like how can I use this in order to like you know bring this to people or to like in Mm -hmm. some way aid my activist community Mm -hmm. that one can be trickier like I said but yeah if you're working on an individual space. If you're working in an individual space. And if you have a communal space, mm-hmm. like there's so much you can do with that that can really, I think, 
like transform neighborhoods for sure. And I think it can be really something that where you can really support, you can create this kind of space that is supporting people so that they can like go out and be like activists in other struggles as well. Mm. Um, mm. And so I think it can be really, they can be really radical spaces. And I think that there are um, quite a lot of attempts to do that. Hmm. Unfortunately, people run up against, they run up against like rule, like bylaws and rules and policies mm-hmm. and losing mm-hmm. access to land, which I think is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I want to move into the collective movement stuff, but I just wanted to ask, what is the difference between permaculture and agroecology? Because I read uh, A Foodie's Guide to Capitalism, which is awesome. Everyone oh, should read this book. Yeah, I got to read that. <laughs> It's really, really great. I made a video called Radical Food Politics off of, well, based largely on that book. Um, But they talk about kind of the solution to our industrial uh, capitalist agricultural system as being agroecology. And they also give kind of a vague definition of agroecology. So I'm wondering what, what is the difference between permaculture and agroecology? Well, so I think that they're very similar. I think they're both, you know, concepts that are based on the idea of creating land-based systems, like human-created land-based systems that mimic natural ecosystems and that help the ecosystem that they've created to regenerate. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say agroecology is particularly focused on productive agricultural systems. Permaculture mm-hmm. um, can be. Mm-hmm. Um, partly the difference is a little bit the scale. And I, I think that par- partly agroecology, some of those principles and the movement itself is kind of used on a larger scale and permaculture mm. doesn't tend to be on that larger scale. There's like a few larger farm operations, I would say, that try to utilize permaculture methods, but it, it gets a little, mm-hmm. it gets a little harder. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of focus on like a regenerative system, like a food forest. And you know, mm-hmm. those things aren't necessarily super productive compared to like more conventional practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think partly it's a difference of scale and they have just a different, you know, slightly different set of principles. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, but I think the main difference is that permaculture is really interested in transforming um, people's social lives as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so agroecology, I, I mean, I think that they are like sister movements and mm-hmm. should totally consider themselves sister movements. Mm-hmm. But I think that agroecology um, is not necessarily concerned with like also transforming um, the way that the humans are organizing themselves. And I think permaculture is, it should be, it's not everyone's interpretation of it, but I think the the interpretation of it that really um, gives it any like weight and power and um, any ability to transform the world is the part of it that is talking about like social permaculture and how we're going to create human communities based on you know Mm. cooperation based on flourishing of all people based on sharing um, things that go very much against capitalism Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that you know, that's an element of permaculture that is, should be front and center in all permaculture projects and initiatives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess that also kind of leads into this idea of permaculture as a collective movement, as opposed to just an individualist practice. Because as you said, if you're trying to follow those principles, it becomes difficult if you're just doing that on an individual basis, right? Yeah. And I think that, I think that ethics, like if you're, 
if you're trying to live out the ethics, it becomes almost impossible if you're doing it only on an individual basis, especially that last piece of fair share. And people try to reinterpret that last piece in ways that that kind of fits into a more individualistic <laughs> framework. Yeah. Um, but I think that that last piece is really exciting and that's a piece that allows it to be something that can transform our society. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you are concerned with the earth and you're concerned with other people, like why wouldn't you want to tra- completely transform the society in which we live in? So, mm-hmm. you know, interpreting that last piece so that it doesn't actually mean creating a, you know, radically different society based on cooperation and sharing. Mm-hmm. I think is makes kind of the whole project kind of pointless. So yeah, what type of society we'd have to have, what would have to change mm-hmm. in order to live out those ethics. And mm-hmm. I think that um, it automatically means that we have to start to focus on collective projects. Mm-hmm. We can't just leave it at, um, I've, I happen to own a home and have a backyard. And so I'm going to do these wonderful things in my backyard or which mm-hmm. Something that I think can be even worse is, oh, I've just bought a hundred acres or oh yeah, you know, eighty <laughs> acres, and that's something yeah. probably anybody these days can do. Like in North America, yeah. buying land is incredibly expensive. Small scale organic farmers have been like losing access to land like crazy, and you know, in other parts of the world for permaculturists, especially from the global north, to go to other parts of the world and buy up land Mm, is, mm -hmm. I think, incredibly problematic. Mm -hmm. And so I think we really need to focus on collective projects, Mm -hmm. ones that are not for profit um, Mm -hmm. in any way, and ones um, in which, you know, there is active social permaculture going on. So people are actively trying to think about building relationships between people that are based on, you know, justice, fairness, equality, and cooperation and sharing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. but I think in like cities like Toronto, for example, I think that um, part of it is people trying to reclaim the urban commons um Mm -hmm. trying to push back against privatization of public spaces whether Mm -hmm. it's like actual privatization like actually in my city of london ontario there are these spaces that are like these private public partnerships and so one is like this market and you think of the market as like community space if you gather there there's a farmer's market you can sit in the market for hours drinking coffee no one bugs you're not expected to buy anything it feels like it's kind of like a, a public space kind of like a park there's like an outdoor park but as soon as somebody organizes a protest on that mm. outdoor part suddenly security guards come and tell you it's actually te- actually technically private uh, and you actually can't have, you don't have freedom of assembly or expression here. And sometimes uh, people are pushed onto this little sidewalk. So it like people, it screws God. people's mind. People think this is a public space and there's like city councilors and the board of directors. Like it's this partnership between uh-huh. the city and this other private entity. And it's like a nonprofit, but, as soon as people are exercising their democratic rights, it, it just mm. seems like you're at a mall, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I think like pushing back against those those things, those initiatives, um, defending the public sphere, I think is really mm-hmm. important, especially the right of people living in a neighborhood to have a really fundamental and democratic say over what happens in the things in their neighborhood, like the community centers, the parks, and to kind mm-hmm. of transform those spaces in a, in a democratic way in which people can fully participate Mm -hmm. so and I think that 
but we need to just keep pushing further because mm-hmm. even yeah. community gardens, like they still get into the mentality. Often you're like allotment plot, you're renting your plot. And so this mm-hmm. idea of com- communally coming together and forming these radically democratic spaces mm-hmm. doesn't quite happen. There's like potential for it to happen, but it doesn't quite happen. There's limitations. Yeah. That we always have to push against. Yeah, for sure. And I can see those public-private partnerships, you know, just growing exponentially <laughs> in the oh. coming decades. So. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's like scary. it's it's yeah. It's what's scary is it seems public and people don't even realize what they've lost right. until you start to. Um, exercise something that is like non-commoditized or you yeah. try to do something that is, you know, exercising your freedom of, to protest basically. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then right. suddenly you realize, surprise, oh, you're I on private that. property. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of also feeds into the next question of um, why do you feel that this movement needs to be anti-capitalist and you are also a vegan. So Mm-hmm. Why do you feel like this this movement should be vegan as well? So I'll start with the anti-capitalist. So I, I mean, I am like I'm a Marxist feminist, and mm. I have noticed since I've gotten involved in permaculture. So basically, how you kind of get involved in permaculture? I mean, that's a whole other issue to talk about. Is you take these permaculture design courses, and I took my permaculture design course with Starhawk, who's a, a kind of a well-known like feminist witch activist, and mm-hmm. she started getting into permaculture probably about fifteen years ago. So I took my my PDC with her. It's basically you go away for. I mean, you can probably see the problems with this model, but you go away for two weeks, and you have this intensive experience learning about permaculture, and mm-hmm. then you get your 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 certificate, and you kind of start your permaculture journey. So I did that with her, and she is really into activism. So there is a huge component of activism in it, and I immediately saw that there are. It was immediately clear because that's how she was teaching it that there are. Um, really important things from McAlter to teach us about, you know, challenging our current capitalist system and building mm-hmm. new society. And then if you also, you know, read the original, I believe the original intent, even though there's some problems with it, but the original intent of permaculture concept was to really um, radically question the way that our society was organized and organized society another way. I think they were, you know, these two Australians were coming across, um, you know, they were very aware that capitalist industrial agriculture was causing a huge amount of problems and and how can we get beyond that Mm -hmm. and so I think at its root it's anti-capitalist I think Mm -hmm. that um there's no way you can have a society and there's no way you can have a you can create like a life for yourself where you are truly living the care of the earth ethics care for the earth ethics for example if you are Mm -hmm. not challenging capitalism Mm -hmm. Um, like our society is based on destroying the earth right now like that's what capitalism is about and so Mm -hmm. if you are truly trying to care for the earth like in my opinion you have to be involved some way in the climate justice movement like you just do because that is destroying the earth Mm -hmm. Um, care for people like if you truly care for people then you have to be questioning the system that causes like mass amounts of human misery and Mm -hmm. you know that really upholds some brutal systems of oppression and then if you are talking about fair share like capitalism is totally so based on you know private accumulation of wealth and capital and people even Mm -hmm. people who are not like the ruling class have like 
um, adopted these ideas to the extent that I find it, um, people have a really hard time with sharing. They mm-hmm. just, if you share with somebody who's like a stranger, they are, mm-hmm. they're suspicious. They're not sure if they should actually take it. Um, mm-hmm. it's just very unusual. I think in North American culture, at least like mm-hmm. Canada and United States, um, yeah. I think in other places in the world, sharing is still a very normal part of everyday life, but sharing yeah. beyond your family is a very, I think a strange thing for people to do. I don't mm-hmm. think people do it very much. And <laughs> yeah. the whole idea of the sharing economy as being these like for-profit tech oh, corporations God. that have created these apps yeah. is so like sick because that is in no way yeah. sharing. Like people are no. just hustling. They're just, that's just a hustling economy. People serve to survive under capitalism. Right. And there's no sharing involved in that. You're paying for it. Like what's, what's being shared? Yeah. Nothing's being shared. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? The Airbnb thing, for example, it took away, I think, from this, like, there was this kind of sharing, like, couch surfing, where if you were, like, traveling, I think it might have been called couchsurf.org or something. People, that was more like actual sharing, like, hey, Mm -hmm. you can sit on my couch and I'll meet someone. This is like a, a, you know, monetary transaction and you're commoditizing all parts of your life. It reminds me of, like, you know, if you read a um, like a Christmas Carol, like a Charles Dickens book, and yeah. it's like you know, women are cutting off their hair. I guess it happened in like Little Women as well. Like she right. cut off her hair to make money. It's like it's really grim. <laughs> it <laughs> totally is grim. brutal and grim. It is grim. Yeah. So I think that like if you were to live out those ethics and take them actually seriously. Mm. then you have to confront capitalism. So I think permaculture Mm. is inherently anti-capitalist for that reason. Mm. I think those Mm. ethics are Mm -hmm. anti-capitalist. And I think some people kind of real, I think some people realize that some people kind of realize that. And then unfortunately I would say, especially in the United States, some permaculture people (laughs) that I'm like, for example, on like Facebook groups that can be have thousands of people. Some of them just seem to have this like libertarian kind of farmer ethic that they're then applying to permaculture. And it, yeah. It to me is a complete abandonment of the idea. Like, like right. maybe you're a small scale farmer, maybe you're a gardener, but there's something more. Otherwise, what's the point? Like, why did right. I even get involved in the permaculture movement if it's just like right. basically I was I was already a gardener, so <laughs> that's all. Yeah, it is. exactly. Right. It's kind <laughs> it's of like okay, well, more. I'm caring for my earth while the rest of my country is pumping up so much CO two that my earth is dying anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a crisis mentality permeating it too, like a little bit of a survivalist thing, maybe also, especially in the United States, that I think we have to push against um, as well when it comes to permaculture movements. Yeah. Um, So that's why I think think it is inherently anti-capitalist, and I think Mm -hmm. people should make that explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you were to take seriously permac- the ideas of permaculture, the philosophy, um, the ethics and the principles, you would have to support in very fundamental ways, other social movements that are struggling, for example, climate justice movement, um, mm-hmm. in, in indigenous land rights movements, mm-hmm. feminism, Black Lives Matter. I think you have to take that all very seriously and integrate it into the permaculture work you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then... There's a whole other question about veganism and permaculture. I would say mm-hmm. that is a small group of people in permaculture, partly because like agroecology, regenerative food systems often think about how we're going to integrate animals into that system. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not like some people just like to eat meat. And so when they're thinking about how I'm going to create like a, 
how am I going to create this regenerative food system? They're, of course, thinking, oh, and like, how am I going to get sources of meat? So there's a very, there's a growing <laughs> movement of uh-huh. permaculture people who are vegan or vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to regenerative food systems, there's also the question of adding fertility back to the land. Do you have animals because they provide labor in various ways, like pollination, like fertility through their manure, mm-hmm. um, composting services through like scratching up compost or like actual labor, like, mm-hmm. you know, birth of, beasts of, not birth, beasts of burden. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a lot of people in permaculture have just taken it for granted that, of course, we're going to have domesticated animals that we're going to, mm-hmm. you know, li- live alongside of. And, you know, when people like me will make argument about, um, like, farmed animal systems are, you know, not really good for the environment, that they ha- they cause a lot of greenhouse gases to go into the environment, they can be very destructive. There's a lot of resistance to that, I would say. And a lot of mm. people will say, well, there are these, uh, people will harken back to, like, there are these, um, you know, grazing cultures, there are areas of the world, there are landscapes that rely on these grazing animals, like goats and sheep, and they're really important in these ecosystems. And so it's actually really, there'll be a huge loss if we don't have these animals. And then why not then use their products in various ways like to eat their bodies um and there's some po- really popular people in culture like joel saludin i don't know if you've ever heard of him no he's not a permaculture person but he's a small-scale organic farmer in the united states he writes a lot of books he is libertarian and he actually i think has quite reactionary views on um people women mm-hmm. things like that um he is really into the idea of having animals and respecting the animalness of the animals. So he would say like industrial livestock agriculture, you know, doesn't let pigs live normal pig lives, which yeah, that is very true. The pigs live terrible lives that are no way normal for them. So mm-hmm. he talks about like the pigness of the pig and the chickenness of the chicken. And, but he also, of course, has these animals that he slaughters and mm. he will just say, well, they just have one bad day. And I think that's a really common refrain mm. here in permaculture, just one bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> one bad so day. Just one bad day where they're <laughs> slaughtered. But you know what? And they never talk about the trauma of taking like babies away from their mothers. That's never mm-hmm. included in the one bad day. Right. Um, it's just they're talking about their, their slaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, this is something I think that, really uh needs to develop in permaculture is a vegan approach to permaculture i would say Mm -hmm. in the uk because uk has pretty strong uh vegetarian movement and has had for maybe like over a hundred years where there's been like different philosophers and theorists and activists um Mm -hmm. talking about being being vegan or vegetarian um but there are some attempts to um Talk about creating a vegan permaculture, and sometimes called a veganic permaculture movement, mm-hmm. in which you are not exploiting or harming animals. Um, but I'd say it's a small group of people. I think it's really important, um, and what because obviously I don't believe in this idea of one bad day. I don't want in any way to harm or kill animals. I grew up on a small scale farm mm-hmm. where uh, animals had many, many bad days. <laughs> they did not just have one bad day. They 
I mean, when mothers and babies are separated like that, that's a, mm. that trauma just continues mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. Like it's not one bad day and then they're over it. Like it mm-hmm. does not happen. Right. Um, and I also don't really understand how someone, so if you say, well, it's not just one bad day because, you know, these permaculture farmers or these agroecological farmers or whatever, they really can care about their animals. Mm-hmm. Then I don't understand if you can care about something, how you can then kill it and, and eat its body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's something I really would like to see development of a, 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 a veganic permaculture movement um, mm-hmm. where we don't harm animals. We don't also exploit them, which brings us back mm-hmm. to decommoditizing animals and their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is totally in line with permaculture ethics. Uh, co- like commoditizing another being, I think, is, it, mm-hmm. you know, horrible it's like totally disregarding their well-being it -hmm. leads to them being viewed as just a commodity in this very crass way and i don't think that in any way is something that that is compatible with caring for them Mm -hmm. i think what's a little bit trickier is thinking about creating a system where we're not using for example them as you know, a source of fertility for soil, so manure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as composters, and even in some parts of the world as, like, labor. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know of too many systems where, like, the animals being used for labor are not like, a really difficult life. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we're not using their pollination because some, I, you know, I think there are some, some vegans who don't like the idea of having managed bees. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I think that can be a little trickier. I struggle with this idea of how could we like live with animals wild and animals that we've domesticated in ways in which we are not harming them or exploiting them. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. Would those animals choose to live with us if we mm-hmm. had a, a, a relationship not based on exploitation? Are they getting anything? Can we create a mutually beneficial relationship like with goats? Are they mm-hmm. getting anything mm-hmm. from it or would they rather be free of humans? That's like a question I kind of struggle with that I think I would like to see development of um, a, a vegan ethic which in, within permaculture that's really struggling with that issue of we've domesticated these animals. Mm-hmm. Can we live with them in a way where we're not exploiting them? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is clear that we cannot eat their bodies or the products of their bodies mm-hmm. without exploitation because... Yeah. You know, you can't, you know, I don't have to explain to you, but you can't get dairy <laughs> from a cow without in some way causing her harm and exploitation because you have to basically take her baby away in order to get that surplus milk. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to do something with the male. Like there's just all these problems where mm-hmm. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that's possible or I'm not sure if that would be possible in the long term. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not sure what we would do about or with animals that we've domesticated. It's an interesting mm. question. I'm actually writing a chapter in a book about regenerative agriculture where we we are, the person I'm writing it with, we are like thinking about these issues about can we have an agricultural system that's regenerative and sustainable and not based on harm and exploitation and violence? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I so. Think, I think the answer, yeah, I think the answer is <laughs> yes. I think that, but could we still live with some animals? Like, it's yeah, clear to me that many I think dogs so and cats too. would choose to live with us. I think goats and horses would choose to live with people. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure about like cows and sheep and chickens. Although I feel like some animals, we've created them, we've changed their biology in a way that they would have to live with us in order to survive. Right. So yeah, it's a it's an issue that I think um, 
is really important to grapple with and think about. And mm-hmm, like, do mm-hmm. we, can we have a vegan permaculture system where we're using manure? Whereas mm-hmm. having to have cows where you need to get manure from them, is that inherently exploiting them? Yeah, I don't know. We did a podcast about this called Should Domesticated Animals Go Extinct? And we kind of fell on the side of like, no, they shouldn't. And that like, if they are benefiting and surviving, you know, with us, and then, yeah, Yeah. their manure is also helping to regenerate, then we basically argued that like, what makes it really exploitative is the system of capitalism is like commodification of their bodies and their products. And so if we're operating outside of capitalism, and we aren't eating them or using their products, (laughs) um, then we argued that, you know, it could definitely be um, symbiotic or, you know, mutually beneficial. Yeah, I agree too. Mm-hmm. And I, but I think obviously there's some people who don't agree. Yeah. But I agree too. And I think that um, it would require, but it would require a, a radical transformation in the way we interact with these animals and the mm-hmm. way we think about these animals. And I think that, you know, all aspects that all aspects I would like to see a permaculture that are actually enacted are ones that would require a radical transformation. So I, I personally think radical transformation is good. Uh-huh. And I think like radically transforming the way we interact with these animals is really important. Like if we were really if we were to have goats, for example, I said I had two goats. And I really cared about them as beings, which I, I think you should in permaculture. I think you should mm-hmm. just in general, but in a permaculture system, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think you could create a, you know, system with the, those goats are involved in it where they are really flourishing as beings. Yeah. And I totally think that would be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself would like, I, I have beans. And so I think, I hope that I am integrating bees into my system which is in this case my backyard in Mm -hmm. a way um that the bees are flourishing and that i'm not causing them harm Mm -hmm. and that means that i always like i'm very when i like do beekeeping stuff it's like so different when i like talk to other beekeepers like they're not necessarily thinking about causing no harm to the bees Mm -hmm. um they're not thinking about the bees as beings that have a right to like live in relative autonomy from humans and i think that's one of the things that we would want to see is that Mm -hmm. we're integrating domestic animals and to the extent possible mm-hmm. we're allowing them to practice agency and to live in some sort of a, the autonomy they want from people i think mm-hmm. it's clear some animals don't want very much autonomy from people like dogs yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't want any <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know some animals want more and like yeah. cats are a good example of that too yeah um, and i think some of the domesticated quote-unquote farm animals um you know, some might have a more aloof relationship with humans mm-hmm. if we had one based on their flourishing and our flourishing. Mm-hmm. And I think some would want to be fully integrated and, and would really, uh, really do enjoy the companionship of humans. So mm-hmm. I think like, I keep talking about goats, but I really, I think goats are this animal that really enjoy <laughs> the companionship of humans. Yeah. And I think that they would, they would choose, yeah. and, you know, to be around humans. So yeah, vegan permaculture is like in its infancy, I would say, of development. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of permaculture people are kind of hostile to veganism because mm. um, they think that integration of animals is really important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, they don't want to give up 
eating meat, which we yeah. see with a lot of different people. They just don't want to give that up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we see that with ways. like ninety nine percent of the population. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <same>. Um, <laughs> but I think that Definitely. makes sense in terms of you know the ethics of permaculture. Um, a being inherently anti capitalist, and yeah. B, you know, it, especially also the caring for the earth. You know, we know the ecological impact of raising animals for meat consumption if you are trying to feed a lot of people with like a a U.S. kind of meat-centric diet, right? It's impossible. And this idea of the grazing animals, like they're talking about landscapes like um, some prairie ecosystems and also some like mountainous regions and like that... Mm. But mm-hmm. those are like, that's not the majority of ecosystems in, that exist on Earth. So, right. you know, you're really talking about little areas of the world, really. And, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't mean you have to, like, then kill them and eat them. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can have goats. And <laughs> that they doesn't follow. <laughs> be really good. Yeah, that doesn't mean that you have to eat them. <laughs> right. <laughs> or milk yeah. them or whatever. Um, yeah. I So I think it's totally in line. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's, like, practiced. Yeah. very much it's like a new yeah. a new thing right. so yeah. hence the importance of building this anti-capitalist vegan permaculture movement <laughs> yes yes very important and also like some of the practices that are really common like building up soil fertility mm-hmm. uh, people use manure and that that like the manure that's sold at any like garden store it comes mm-hmm. from the industrial agriculture system it is not uh, coming yeah. from someone who like loves their cows and, like treats yeah. them and lets them be a cow or anything like that it is coming from and so all those not just like it's coming from animals that are living in misery but all the things that are all the chemicals that are used antibiotics uh, yeah. the things that are in their poop and their pee is all getting mm. into your garden. Yeah. So I think there's some things permaculture people should reject right now. Uh-huh. Um, and one should be commercial manure. Yeah. Which I think Every, is really, everyone really should common. reject that. Everyone should reject commercial <laughs> manure. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't even, I, I knew it wasn't like I knew, um, but the, you know, this manure came from a farm and I don't like support animal agriculture. And, but I didn't really make the connection to this comes from a like industrial capitalist farm. Like this comes from the worst mm-hmm. type of farm because mm-hmm. they need like the scale. Yeah. 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 Super gross. It's really um, gross. <laughs> yeah. So thinking about, you know, uh, permaculture as an uh, anti-capitalist movement, I wanted to talk a bit about property because mm-hmm. as you were saying, obviously, the majority of people now mostly have access to private property or no property. Yes. Um, so how do we go about, I mean, obviously we talked a bit about the importance of doing this on communal property, but how do we go about, I guess, accessing the amount of property we would have, we would need to hold in common to do permaculture yeah. justice, right? Yeah. So land ownership, I think, is such a huge, tricky, problematic issue within permaculture. And it's one of the things I found really frustrating when I first got into permaculture is I was thinking, okay, it's an ecological design system based on mimicking natural ecosystems. You can apply it to human spaces, but a, you know, a lot of it will be about how to mimic natural ecosystems in your own private space. People are always kind of basing ideas based on the idea that you have access to private space that you can do what you want on it and Mm -hmm. when I first got into permaculture I was like um 
I think I was living in a housing co-op. Um, so maybe, you know, I could have done more transformative stuff there. But after I lived there, I was just renting places. I did mm-hmm. not have any say in what happened in my space or I didn't have any access to space at all. Mm-hmm. And I found it really frustrating to you know, think, oh, there's all these cool things, but I can't really do it. I can't really be a permaculture person because I don't Mm -hmm. have access to land. I can't just like, you know, plant fruit trees and dig them up on my my landlord's land, he'll rip them out. I don't have that permission. I think that's Mm -hmm. the case for a lot of people. And I think that really limits the movement and how the movement can like build, um, how it can incorporate people and how it can like really start to confront um, issues of racism and classism mm. uh, and also sexism if you are basing it on the idea that people have access to land that they control and that they can make decisions about. Mm. Um, so I think it's a really important issue. And then it, there's this whole colonialist aspect. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, oh my God, it is, com- I would say it's somewhat common for people to come into the ideas of permaculture and then to go to places in the global south and buy a piece of land and set up a permaculture farm but it's actually it seems more like an eco resort that other people who are kind of well off go to um and it's not something that's really giving back to that particular community that it's in and i think that's mm. quite common you will see like advertisements um there's some permaculture magazines that you'll see advertisements for you know people's like permaculture design course in belize or costa rica where it's people from north america europe or australia often um who have bought up this land and you know Mm. now people can come pay thousands of dollars to come for permaculture design course so not only is it really limiting the people who don't have thousands of dollars but they, it's like how is it different than just going and buying like a hotel and like making like a little eco resort? It doesn't seem that different to me. Yeah, and I think or that's just so like a in, like a capitalist land grab where you yeah, have like like industrial agriculture grabbing land and then evicting everybody like yeah. primitive accumulation. Yeah, and I think that <laughs> happens. Yeah, it is so. It makes me it makes me really angry. Like I think it happens a lot. Mm. Like there was this one magazine article that in a permaculture magazine that was talking about these guys and they were from the US and they went to Paraguay and they opened up a yerba mata, am I saying that right? Yerba mate? Um, kind of farm thing. And now they were Mm -hmm. selling these products and it was all like permaculture. And they were selling these products back to people in the United States. Mm. And they were saying, oh, this is like, this is an interpretation of the third ethic because it's like ethical capitalism or something gross. And it's like, this is, how is this just not land grabbing? (laughs) Like, it's just commoditizing this land. It's taking something, Yerba Mate, which was like, you know. Yeah it's just taking this like oh there's this like superfood right. there's this tea i'm just gonna like market it to people who pay a lot of money at whole foods for it. like how is it right it's so gross like selling isn't sharing yeah <laughs> sharing <laughs> <laughs> and they have this like oh we're giving back to the community in this and it just seems like a gross development project in a way where it's not really giving back to the community and that's just kind of a, a yeah. joke to yeah. make it them feel better about what they're doing. And they're obviously making money off of this, like a lot of money. Yeah. So I think that does, there's some really problematic issues about land. I don't think there's a lot of people questioning, like when they have access to land, questioning what it is about them that gave them that access to land. Mm-hmm. Um, is that right? Is that something mm-hmm. that they should be just, you know, celebrating? Or is that something that they should be questioning, thinking critically about? Um, and, 
kind of trying to do something different with. So land is a huge issue and problem, I would say, mm-hmm. with informal culture. It limits people, the people who can participate. And, you know, it also can be very oppressive. I think we need to move beyond this idea of private ownership of land, which, mm-hmm. you know, in it, we still live in a capitalist society. So it's easy to say that. And then it's like, how would that actually work, Becky, within like a capitalist society? But yeah. I think we can at least, for one thing, start by saying that there actually shouldn't be private ownership of land. There is, that's mm. the society we live in, but there shouldn't be, that there's actually something inherently wrong with that, yeah. that it actually does not line up with permaculture values. So we should think about different ways, first of all, about thinking about the land and thinking about being stewards of land, caretakers of land, not owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we should look to ways in which we can hold land in common. Mm-hmm. Now there is like public ownership of land, like public parks. Sometimes, you know, that just seems like it's kind of run by the government, run by the state, placed by literally police. Um, mm-hmm. And that there's a lot of limitations there because of the way our society is. So that is, and that is very true. Mm-hmm. So that we come across limitations, but there also, you know, it was a small but growing movement of starting up land trusts in cities and in rural areas mm-hmm. that have some potential as well, like community ownership of land. So I think there's different things like that we can think about. Mm-hmm. And then I also think like, if we are to think about the ethics or the lack of ethics of this concept of land as private property, mm-hmm. it immediately means that we have to think about uh, colonialism, what mm-hmm. colonialism did, um, that we, because, you know, me as someone from a white settler background that like my family benefited from, that I continue mm-hmm. to benefit from, that colonialism continues in various ways. And I think we automatically have to then be involved in supporting um, acting in solidarity with Indigenous land rights struggles, mm-hmm. which I think are, you know, struggles that are really pushing up against this idea that there is any legitimacy to private ownership of land. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's one thing of like thinking differently about land, trying to find different models of land ownership that is based on collective land ownership. And if it's mm-hmm. public and owned by you know the government, trying to like promote this idea that people who live near that land actually should have a say in what happens to it. It shouldn't just mm-hmm. be administered from above, um, from, you know, and it shouldn't be policed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also we need to support Indigenous land rights and really think about uh, confronting colonialism in a real fundamental mm-hmm. way. And mm-hmm. so I think those three pieces should always be part of what people are thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you come across challenges to trying to think differently about land, I think it's really important to um, look at it as an opportunity to link up with other radical social movements and mm-hmm. not to just kind of give up on your project to give up on your idea but to think mm-hmm. like for example we can't find if we if someone couldn't find land in the city you know we really need to think like really critically about like gentrification and about mm-hmm. you know racialized access to land and why that is and so then that can like lead to different struggles and struggles that don't mm-hmm. necessarily seem directly linked to that struggle over that piece of land like things like rent control which is so important mm-hmm. uh, in struggle against gentrification so really linking up to other social movements that in various ways are also challenging this idea of land as ownership. Mm-hmm. There is a movement of permaculture in other countries in the world, um, in the global south. And I think if you want if you want to support that, support that. That's actually coming right. from people in those communities. Don't right. start up your own thing and buy up land. 
Why if land you give it then is a land trust to people who are right. in it there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm thinking about here in the North American context, I think that does get super tricky because, you know, yeah, colonialism was not just an event that happened in the past. Colonialism is an ongoing structure that continues to alienate First Nations from their land bases. And we are all inhabiting indigenous nations like they are not inhabiting canada like canada just imposed itself on indigenous nations but we are really inhabiting indigenous nations and should be following indigenous law but we are not so when we think about permaculture for the future because i think right now it is it is difficult right it's difficult to reckon with that fact um within this framework Mm mm-hmm I also think uh, like sometimes people have this idea that they're entitled to the land that they own because they own it. And I think kind of yeah. trying to trying to do away with that, like it, you don't have some sort of like God given uh-huh. entitlement to this land. Like uh-huh, yeah. it was a human structure based on like oppression, genocide, like, you know, theft. And it might be right now that you like own this land, you live here, that's fine, and you're stewarding it, but you don't have some sort of entitlement like way into the future to like have this land as yours and right. be yours and really right. need to drop that idea that yeah. you know, ownership. And if and if we were following indigenous like the laws of the nations that we actually inhabit, then that would be the case, right? Um, I'm working with a number of Indigenous experts in Canada working on um, Indigenous protected areas. And yeah, they always talk about the treaties where they were sharing treaties. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, we're going to give you this land. It's we can't give the land to you because nobody owns the land, but we can share it with you. So we will share with you and we can both flourish. And then obviously that just did not happen at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's really important to think about. And sometimes it can be super tricky to think about how, how would we completely decolonize this, this land? Um, mm-hmm. What would that, what would that look like? And what would it look like if there was like real justice for the indigenous peoples who were like, killed and who you know mm-hmm. were driven off land who were lied to mm-hmm. um yeah i know some people are very critical of the idea of commons because of that because they think it's when you're, mm. you're talking about commons like for example people like me you talk about the commons that's still based on this like settler framework where you think we have any right to access this land mm-hmm. um it's just not we're talking individually i think that people who critique it would say you're talking about you know that you collectively have a right to this Mm -hmm. and it's actually indigenous land Mm -hmm. but i also think there is this reality of like canada united states there's like you know hundreds of millions of people who get now do live here and how are we going to live together moving forward and it Mm -hmm. you know in a way that is not based on misery and genocide environmental destruction and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is something that like is tricky and i think commons is a good way to think about that but I do also mm-hmm. think that we need to be critical of that and think about what that would mean to decolonize the commons definitely which I don't necessarily have an answer I don't have an answer to I'm yeah, still yeah. through those things I no me neither collectively me neither but I think I think that's something also the anti-capitalist movement needs to reckon with right like yeah. how do we um how do we envision a decolonized socialist future 
yeah. in Canada, in the US and, and whatnot, right? Um, yeah. So I think these are big questions that we should also be like looking to Indigenous leaders and elders to be helping us, like help helping guide us, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I've big questions. I started reading um, a book by Leanne Simpson, as mm-hmm. we have always done. And that is a really good book. I just started mm-hmm. reading it, but I think that that is like reading that book for white settlers in Canada who really want to think about how to decolonize. I think mm. people should read that book <laughs> and engage really seriously with the ideas she's putting yeah. forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you talked a bit about, you know, linking permaculture up with other movements. Mm-hmm. Um, can you think of any other ways that we could unite permaculture with other social movements like feminism, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, there needs to be a Me Too movement in the permaculture movement. Oh, um, I think in any culture, any subculture where you have this kind of idea, well, I think any subculture where you have like leaders going around, you know, kind of bestowing their knowledge on other people, teaching other people um, mm-hmm. in a very sexist, patriarchal society. You can have some really fucked up gender dynamics there. And I don't think any social movement is immune to that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I think that it's definitely happened within permaculture as well. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when it comes to gender, some gender essentialism has also made its way into permaculture. I would say from like um, some environmental movements kind of like ideas about masculine and feminine and like Mm. women are like closer to nature and like that's a good thing but not realizing that that's very like it's really puts us in these gendered boxes that are very Uh oppressive actually even if it's quote-unquote positive Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to uh feminism I think that like if we are well for one thing if we're talking about care for people we have to radically think about um you know sexism and misogyny and how that can rear its head in social movements how it does all the time how we have to constantly question that um gender essentialist ideas I think are really problematic um Mm -hmm. really limiting people's expression of who they are and who they want to be Um, I went to this really great session about queering permaculture that was talking about various ways to think really radically about nature and not to, uh, to question this way that, you know, a sexist society views like for example non-human animals and views like natural ecosystems in a very like gendered sexist way and that that Mm. was like wrong and that we need Mm -hmm. to like question that we need to do away from that if we see it rearing its ugly head we need to like always talk against that and think about ways that like queer you know queer people and feminism can like add some really really cool and radical things to the permaculture movement mm-hmm. but i think permaculture needs to be really linked to like social struggles going on in a really um dynamic way so that we are like changing alongside these movements we're acting in solidarity with them mm-hmm. and one way i think we can really do that is you know thinking about how we use land in a very radical way. And mm-hmm. I think um, I've always practiced permaculture in the urban setting. And I think urban permaculture really has the potential to link up with radical social movements that happen in cities mm-hmm. about gentrification, basically, like who mm-hmm. has access to land and who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Uh, and why is that true? And why have we created these cities in which certain people are like policed in Mm. public spaces certain people are unsafe in public spaces Mm. um where certain people have no access to land and you know also in 
practice don't have access to public lands either. Mm-hmm. Um, why have we created cities like that? And how are we radically going to change cities like that? And how are we going to create um, neighborhoods in which everyone is flourishing, not in which just some people get to flourish, get to live in those neighborhoods and flourish, but everybody who lives in those neighborhoods also flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it automatically is a movement that should be um, ch- questioning gentrification and should be looking at the way that um, people of color are policed in public spaces mm-hmm. and also should be looking at the ways in which um, women are not free to just exist in public spaces without being harassed or assaulted. So mm-hmm. I think this kind of idea of coming together, create these spaces in which everybody can participate. And if you want to create spaces in which everybody can participate, you have to confront uh, racism and sexism and poverty mm-hmm. and all those mm-hmm. things. Yeah, I just had this really cool idea of just thinking of the city itself as that ecosystem that we're trying to think of as this permaculture, care for earth, care for people, yeah, <laughs> uh, fair share thing. And how like, of course, that would obviously, as you said, link up with anti-capitalist movements, feminists, um, anti-racist movements, etc. So yeah, yeah, pretty cool. I, I really, I love this concept. <laughs> Um, so it, this is a huge question, but in, in terms of practicing imagining, like we were talking about, um, in terms of, um, like emergent strategy, what might a post-capitalist or have you done any imagining of what a post-capitalist decolonized permaculture system would look like and why should leftists incorporate permaculture into our future world building? So I'll start with the second question, because I think that um, it's really important when you're thinking about what a post-capitalist permaculture, like socialist system or whatever might look like, um, to think about the things that permaculture can add to like already, you know, struggles that already exist and and movements that already exist and Mm -hmm. one thing I think permaculture can add to the environmental movement for example is um, this idea of thinking about people as not inherently negative for the earth so Mm -hmm. I think there are some environmentalists that think that you know people are inherently destructive Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily the systems people create but it's people themselves there's too many Mm -hmm. people they're inherently destructive they're destroying ecosystems um, and kind of believe that humans are like a scrounge on the earth and I think Mm -hmm. you know permaculture rejects that idea Mm -hmm. I'm not saying every single permaculture person does unfortunately they don't all but I think permaculture Mm -hmm. as a whole the philosophy rejects that idea and puts forward the idea that we can have a human society that is living in cooperation with natural ecosystems and that is true and that we can have human society that is trying to regenerate natural ecosystems Mm -hmm. it's happened before most of humanity that was true and that it can happen again mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a really important thing that it can add to you know for example deep ecology movements some of them just really mm-hmm. are anti-human mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and you know and I'm kind of when sometimes when people like that envision like how the future could be um, how we kind of could save the earth in the future, how the earth could continue to regenerate, they imagine a future in which most people have died. Yeah. And, you know, I think that is a really awful thing. And it's a thing that they don't necessarily acknowledge, but 
We know that the people right now who are suffering the most from climate chaos, for example, mm. are, you know, people in the global south, people of color in the global south who are poor. Mm. And that is who will continue to suffer. So if you're going to like imagine this future, like, oh, the best thing for the earth would be if there was just like 100 million people on all of earth, then what you're really imagining is that most of the people of color, especially in the global south, have died. And mm -hmm. most people living in poverty have died. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that are most vulnerable for various reasons to do with the way that colonial capitalism works. And so to me, that is deeply anti-human. I also mm -hmm. find it deeply misogynist, the idea that women and their children <laughs> Like mm -hmm. to blame when there's only like a handful of people that are actually to blame for what you know is happening to our mm -hmm. earth, and mm -hmm. so I think that's something permaculture can add because it tends to be a pretty pro human kind of um, philosophy, mm -hmm. one that is just really states at the core that people can live in cooperation with natural ecosystems, that people can cooperate with non-human animals, that they can create systems in which we're all flourishing together. So I think that's a really positive thing that permaculture can add. And I also think um, when it comes to like the radical left, uh, like socialists and anarchists and, and folks like that, I think like I've been involved in radical left movements for decades now. And it's been really empowering, amazing. Um, I really, you know, believe in, you know, obviously I'm a Marxist feminist. I really believe strongly in those ideas. Mm -hmm. But there, there is a lack of visioning what happens next. Like we talk mm -hmm, about, like, mm -hmm. you know, how we build these radical social movements and we can build, like, you know, the, we, we, we can be involved in revolutionary struggle, mm -hmm. um, that there can be a revolution. And then it kind of ends. Then yeah. what? Yeah. And we don't really have any models for that. Like, you know, the, the Soviet Union, for example, wasn't a great yeah. model of a really flourishing, egalitarian, like, society without oppression, exploitation, and marginalization. Like, and it was not a great model for uh, humans existing uh, in a cooperative way with the Earth. <laughs> I think that it was pretty destructive of the Earth in various ways. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I, re I reject the idea that the Soviet Union was like a socialist um, enterprise after, you know, the 1930s, perhaps. But there's really no models. And so many people use Cuba as a model. But what Cuba was doing in terms of organic agriculture and urban agriculture was partly brought out because of extreme crisis. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and, and there was a lot of suffering because of the, the U.S. embargo. So it was, it was not necessarily something where everyone was able to flourish. It was something where people were creating these, you know, really impressive, in quite many, many ways, amazing systems. Um, but it was something that was really brought out of crisis and there was still, you know, suffering and, you know, human, mm -hmm. human misery. So I think that's not what, that's not like the, I, the idea that like, this is, this is how we can imagine like a post-capitalist society that's you know operating along our ideals so I think there needs to be something else that is not based on extreme crisis that's not based on the anti-human kind of idea and it's not kind of hearkening back to like any kind of Soviet model because I don't think that that you know really worked in terms of what we're talking about here um, and so I think that it can be the left really needs to be able to imagine something different, um, imagine beyond like a revolution. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not something that necessarily, necessarily we can like, that we already have like established model for. And I don't think there's a lot of people really thinking about that. 
And it's mm-hmm. something that I think permaculture really can add to the left. Um, mm-hmm. Is so let's you know let's envision we have a complex human society where we still have billions of people. Mm-hmm. Um, how would we flourish? together cooperatively and how would we flourish with the non-human animals and how would we um, help to regenerate ecosystems and I think that that's a really good exercise that is hardly done so that's something I think permaculture can add um in terms of visioning that I mean I I think a lot about like the creation of multi-species urban commons Mm -hmm. um in which one thing I love about cities is that it brings a whole bunch of people together and people can build a sense of community not based on commonness, but can mm-hmm. build a sense of community based on difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be really, I think, radical forms of community where people are really, um, you know, people like there's a little friction and people rub up against each other and then it can really cause a lot of, of, of you know, amazing change and transformation um, because mm-hmm. you are constantly being challenged. I think it's in communities where almost everybody is the same in some fundamental way. I don't think those are communities that can be as vibrant and dynamic. So I think that's something really amazing about cities, actually. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of people living in cities right now. So I think, you know, creating these urban commons where people are um, able to, like, radically decide um, about how they cooperatively, how they want to live in all aspects of their life, we're able mm-hmm. to take also the realm of social re- reproduction and mm-hmm. make it a common thing instead of making it something the individualized nuclear family, which is you know definitely what it is now under capitalism Mm -hmm. um i think that can be you know really liberatory to think about um and then making it multi-species like how we can create these communal spaces in which you know animals are also able to flourish where Mm -hmm. they're able to practice agency they're able to be autonomous to the degree that they want to Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that's a really important thing to consider and i think a lot as you touched on in other your other podcasts i think a lot of like leftists don't think about like how can how can we have like a society based on left principles like radical left principles in which animals are not suffering or exploited like what's Mm -hmm. the role of animals in those kind of societies and Mm -hmm. so i think it's really useful permaculture helps us to think about that because it helps Mm -hmm. us to think about how we would care for animals how we make room for them to flourish as well Mm -hmm. I really think about like radical democracy in all aspects of everyday life I think although sometimes when I go to a lot of meetings for activist stuff I think would that be like super exhausting (laughs) (laughs) but I think that like that really is um that really is like a, a, a model model of radical democracy to me like I fully you know if you want to say communist I like to use this word I just like think I think I created it. Uh, <laughs> permacommunism, if you sort of think of permacommunism, mm-hmm. which was like integrating permaculture ideas with like communist ideas and not like the way people kind of use the term communist. But like if you read Marx, like the idea of a communist society was when without hierarchy, without uh, exploitation and, and marginalization and oppression. And if we were to have a society like that, um, mm-hmm. what would it look like? How would we all be flourishing? And I think partly, you know, we would be making decisions collectively in a radical way about everyday life um, for people. And I really think this idea of everybody, you know, giving what they can and mm-hmm. getting what they need to me, mm-hmm. like that would be the, it's a really simple, um, mm-hmm. like harkening back to Marx, but I think that would be a really radical type of society. If we live in a society that operated on that, 
on that principle. That would be a really radical type of society. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, would like to see sure. one in which, you know, the growing of food, the creating of food, um, mm-hmm. like the caretaking of like children, like where that is all done collectively instead of just being regulated to the individual sphere, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That does sound marvelous. <laughs> um, but I agree with you that it is, it, I think it is really important for leftists to think about incorporating permaculture into our future world building. Um, I can feel everyone pushing back on the Soviet Union <laughs> um, right now being like, oh, but, you know, they, were, they did so much and they were so great, even if even if that's true and, the, and you know, they um, made so much progress and all of that, still, we're not going to be recreating that system at all at this point the condition the material conditions are so different and also the planetary conditions are so different right so we can't afford to be this industrial powerhouse any longer especially if we're not operating with renewable energy like we need to actually think very you know we're at this precipice right now where we have 12 years to turn around climate change, right? So we can't be blowing a bunch of fossil fuels up into the air. So that kind of rules out this, you know, industrial socialist kind of model, right? We have to think, we have to think a lot more carefully today about how we live communally with each other, but also with the earth. And so I think that permaculture is a really important thing to incorporate into our future, like our vision visionary visionariness that's not a word but into our visions of future world building yeah i think so and there's like there are a lot of eco-socialist theorists and i think they they have a lot of really awesome amazing things to say important things to say but then when it gets down to it they're not really like interested in the details and i think some Mm -hmm. people would say well the details that like that are things that like we would organically decide and you know when that happens Mm -hmm. but to me I think that you actually for one thing you need to give people a sense of what they're fighting for instead of something that's kind of imaginary or theory-based you need to be like this is a little glimpse of what we're struggling for and what we could have on a larger scale we can't have it on a larger scale because capitalism but this is just a glimpse of what we could have what could be because otherwise this idea anything you know another world is possible like but people can't envision that we really need to have some glimpses of what another world might look like yeah and then i think like some of the models like are actually about like some of the things we need for a future where we are not dependent on fossil fuels requires like some like actual skill and skill Mm -hmm. that is being rapidly lost like how to grow food without you know artificial fertilizers how to grow food without pesticides like that's actually a skill and to be like well we'll worry about that after the revolution well actually we will need to feed people and we'll need to like have some sort of energy source and if we have no skill or knowledge about that that's a huge problem Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And then I think like some of the social re- reproduction issues of like, how are people like, if you think about the social reproduction of activists, like how do we mm-hmm. create people who are going to be like, you know, fighting these struggles and building these movements and, mm-hmm. you know, forging ahead in a new society, like people need to, we need to have like structures in which people are connected to one another, in which people have their needs met in ways that are not based on exploitation, not based on like women's unpaid labor. Mm-hmm. You know, you can ima- I can imagine, you know, there being a socialist revolution and still having, you know, women doing all this shit mm-hmm. 
yeah. uh, in very impressive ways. And so I think we need to think about like new models of like existing with one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that permaculture can add to because there's this whole realm of social permaculture. And you know, there's a lot of people thinking through how would we apply like some of the principles of permaculture and the ethics of permaculture to how we interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is important for the left to think about too and not just disregard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to a comrade of mine about this the other day, just this idea of, you know, I feel like we've reached the point or maybe maybe it's just me, like I've reached the point where like, I've spent my entire career critiquing capitalism. I'm all out of critique, right? Like I've critiqued the hell out of it. People understand my views on how bad it is and why exactly, right? And I just Mm -hmm. really feel like we do need to start with we need visionaries now, like we need to start actually thinking forward. And we do actually have to start thinking about making connections and learning all of these things that, as you said, we don't know, right? Like all of my skills are in radical critique. I don't know how to grow my own food. I don't know how to do any of that. Mm -hmm. And these are things. So in terms of my last question was, you know, what steps can we take now? I guess it's learning all of these important skills and making connections with people and trying to come together and and dream this future and then walk towards it right yeah i mean i think what steps we can take now is like we can be involved in radical social movements and we should be and at the Mm -hmm. same time we should be thinking about how we can radically change the way in which our everyday life we interact with non-human animals with the environment with ecosystems and with one another and it can Mm -hmm. be something we do at the same time and that kind of that realm of like how we you know, how we live our lives should not just be in our private lives. It should be brought like immediately, like right now, as much as possible, brought in to a collective realm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we might not be able to perfectly do it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of ways we can start to do it. We can uh, support the cooperative movement, which I think is really aligned with the ethic of fair share um, as much as we can, especially workers co-ops. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. there's things like mountain equipment co-op, which, you know, it's not like a model of radical sharing, okay? <laughs> but there yeah. are some cooperatives that really are, that, that need support, that people can support, that give you a glimpse of another way that, that we could meet the needs of people without it being based on, on the accumulation of private wealth. Mm-hmm. I think that people can, um, you know, be involved in things like community gardens, that things like mm-hmm. that shouldn't just be, uh, you know, I've been involved in activist stuff where that stuff isn't considered that serious. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, things like community gardens... And struggles over gentrification and struggles over land access and use, they can be like really important sites for those struggles. Sometimes right. they are the sites those struggles happen in, like right. um, for the South Central Farm, for example, where this farm that all these people created in South Central Los Angeles was just bulldozed. Like that was, that farm was a site of struggle because people mm-hmm. felt deeply connected to it and they felt like they have the, they have the right to it, even though they're poor, they told mm-hmm. they don't own it, they have the right to it, like they have nurtured that land. And so I th- actually think think land-based projects that are communal can be a source of radical struggle um, Mm -hmm. because people really feel connected to land when they spend a lot of time on it and they'll defend it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we can be involved in things like that, community gardens, urban agriculture. Um, I think just thinking differently about when we are creating our own spaces, thinking Mm -hmm. about how we are going to create spaces in which... um, 
animals and plants can flourish alongside the people that use those spaces and they're not mm-hmm. just spaces um, fully created for you know human benefit but they're also spaces where we think about how we can coexist and co-create with non-human animals and plants um, mm-hmm. I think that's really important and then I think like I just personally like to find everyday ways to share with other people and to try to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And so even things that don't, uh, there was actually this article about how little free libraries were like a neoliberal thing. Mm. And I read the article and it was, you know, I mean, interesting. Like I also like to think about how neoliberalism has made its way into all aspects of our life. Um, but I personally, I do have a little free library and I personally feel like these everyday acts of sharing Mm-hmm. are really important it's in in like Canada United States where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of sharing with strangers is something that's not really done very much um, I think just sharing with people um, trying to create that in your own community trying to create spaces in which that can happen on a regular basis like there's been a movement towards the creation of food for us I think that mm-hmm. can be a really it might not seem super radical but I think that can mm-hmm. be a really radical thing and I think people need the experience of sharing with others and connecting right. with others Absolutely. I think that's so important because that's a skill yeah. in itself to be able to build community and share and, and do all of that. And we're not used to doing that, but we're going to have to. That. Yeah, well, we really <laughs> have to. And we really need to create communities too that are like, I don't think we can create communities where like people have a lot of issues and problems they're struggling with. And I don't think we can solve everyone's personal problems. But mm-hmm. We can create communities in which people feel connected and feel mm-hmm. cared about and I think in some left circles that's kind of you know not considered the real work of radicals is to mm-hmm. like create these caring communities for one another uh-huh. but yeah. I think it's so important for one thing we don't want to create a future society in which we're just really callous to one another and strategic always in our thinking mm-hmm. we want to create a society in which we are caring for people but I also exactly. think a huge part of capitalism is that people are completely alienated from one another from themselves from non-human nature and I think like people need to feel connected to all those things mm-hmm. and they they yearn for it and it comes mm-hmm. out and all I think comes out in some fucked up ways sometimes like yeah. um people just yearning for that connection they're so deeply alienated and mm-hmm. I think that we need to create spaces in which people can feel that connection yeah and yeah. you know I think things like for I think that some things like some some community garden projects can be spaces in which people the best ones in which people are connecting deeply mm-hmm. with themselves and nurturing themselves with other people and with non-human nature and so I think spaces like that can really be transformative for people mm-hmm. yeah I love that I'm super inspired to just go get involved in everything now <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem too <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um but yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. That was such an interesting discussion. And I love me. this. I love practicing this, you know, visionary future, um, you know, future world building. I absolutely love that. So before we go, I'll link all of this in the show notes. But do you want to tell people where they can find you and find your podcast and all of your work? Yeah, so my blog of the slash podcast is permaculture for the people.org. Um, and then I also 
have a Twitter, which is at permaculture uh, PPL for people. Um, and I have a permaculture for the people Facebook group as well. And then uh, the podcast. So the first episode has come out. You can listen to it. It's um, so good. You should definitely listen to it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there are so like technical glitches. I'm still like I'm learning as I go. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> but, I loved um, it. Thank Super you. Interesting. I really liked doing it. And so the second one will be coming out shortly. Um, but it is available on, on iTunes and Google Play. And I think Spotify, if I did it oh, all cool. correctly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so um, check that out. I really am excited about he- hearing people's feedback. I have like ideas for future shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but if people have ideas, I want to tackle things to do with like, well, like huge issues like climate chaos and things mm-hmm. like... Um, you know, transportation issues and, and the idea of, you know, free public transportation and, you know, mm-hmm. how we're going to create like human sale communities that people mm-hmm. can move around, but in ways that are like just, mm-hmm. uh, socially just, mm-hmm. but also just ideas. Like I'd love to do a show about like the role of women food riots in mm-hmm. like being a catalyst and trigger for like larger revolutionary struggles. So just, mm-hmm. I'm like really interested in opening a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested in people's story ideas. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited for the podcast. So yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank and, you for having me. Uh, I guess we'll see everyone in two weeks. Bye. Bye.